0: Before we read, let me pray for our time in the scriptures and for listening to what God has to say to us. Would you join me in prayer again? Father, may your word be our rule. May your spirit be our guide. And above everything, We pray that Jesus Christ would be our chief concern. Even so we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. John chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Hear the words of Jesus All this I have told you so that you will not fall away, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to the one who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, these words that Jesus are speaking, is speaking to his disciples are a part of a larger con- conversation. The conversation begins in chapter 13, and it continues all the way through chapter 17. In chapter 13, we have the famous scene where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And so he gets down, he takes his tunic off, and he wraps it around his waist. He gets down on his knees, and he takes into his hands... One of the most disgusting parts of the human body, the foot. He takes it into their hand, into his hands, and he begins to wipe them clean. Now this so offended Peter that Peter said, no, no, Lord, you should not wash my feet, but I should wash your feet. And Jesus responds and says, yes, Peter, but if you do not let me do this, then you shall have no part of me. To which Peter replies, fine then, wash me from head to toe, all of me. Immediately following this, Jesus predicts that one of his disciples is going to betray him. At the end of this, then he begins to have this conversation with them, and he predicts over the course of the next uh, couple of chapters, starting in verse 14 really all the way to the end of 16, he predicts 15 different times that because of the one who is going to betray him, that 15 times he says, I'm going to leave you. Fifteen times he says, I'm going away. Fifteen times, I'm no longer going to be with you. And then in chapter 17, he begins to pray for his disciples. And he prays that they will be able to continue the ministry that he began and that they would do so in unity. Right? So you've got in chapter 13, Jesus is showing the disciples, this is the kind of ministry that I'm giving to you. This is what ministry looks like. No one can be greater than the teacher. And I, your teacher, am getting down on my knees and I'm washing your feet. Therefore... As my students, you can do no more than this. You don't deserve more. You don't, you, you don't deserve a better seat at the table. You don't deserve more recognition. You don't get to get away from the most meaningful tasks. Rather, this is for you. This is what your ministry is going to look like. I am giving you the ministry of washing one another's feet. And then in chapter 17, he prays to the Father. Father, may they do this ministry well and may they do it in unity. And then right in the middle there, in chapter 16, Jesus says, It is for your good that I am leaving. Now, we have a tendency when we come across big statements like this that that on the surface are rather small but are actually quite big. We have a tendency when we've been in church for a long time to blow by them because we've heard them and we understand that Jesus is going away. We know what Jesus means by this. And so because we have this, this understanding that comes from distance and from having heard the story so many times and read through the Bible, because we have this distance, we're able to sanitize what it is that Jesus is actually saying. But if we can just stop and pause and think about what Jesus just said, we can see that this is, this is an absurd statement. It is for your good that I am going away. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the visible image of the invisible God, Jesus the thing that so many people desire, proof positive that God is intimately involved in this world and in our lives is now telling us it is for your good that I leave. It's for your good that I go away from you. You gotta, you, you gotta think that the disciples are sitting there going, um, "How? How is it for our good that you're leaving?" And you even gotta think that us two thousand years removed from this, and a people who are quite used to the absence of Jesus have to still sometimes wonder, like, wouldn't it just be easier if Jesus was still here? Like, how is it for our good that Jesus has left? There's a saying, and it's a saying that we know well. It's super common. Uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder, All right? And, and there's, some, there, there's truth to this. In fact, I've seen it play out many, many times. Uh, particularly, the truth of this, that statement is seen in the passing of a loved one. One of, the, one of the privileges of being a pastor is being able to be with people at the time at which a loved one has passed and in that time, either when it happens or shortly thereafter. And when I've been in those situations, you know, the family and close friends, they gather, they gather and they begin to tell stories. They tell stories of the person about who they were, about what made them them. Sometimes they tell stories that make everybody cry it doesn't take long, though, before someone to tell a story that makes everybody laugh. People begin to talk about what that person meant to them, about what was unique about them, about what their greatest traits were. And, and, and what's beautiful about those moments, because it is beautiful. Grief, grief is painful, but it's beautiful. What's beautiful about those moments is that that person comes into focus in a way that normally does not happen. Because everybody in the room sees the person, the essence of who they are, with a new kind of clarity. They understand them. They get them. they're, They're focused in on the best things about them. This is what, this is what absence can do to us. Henry Nouwen says it like this, In absence, from a distance, in memory, we see each other in a new way. We are less distracted by each other's idiosyncrasies and are better able to see and understand each other's inner core. So absence has this way of bringing to the foreground the things that are hidden because of our idiosyncrasies, because of the things that sometimes annoy us about the individual, because of the odd things that do, the little ticks that they have that sometimes shroud the good things behind this blanket of weirdness that we all have, right? We've all got a little weirdness in them. Behind that shroud of weirdness is these beautiful things, and in the absence of a person, suddenly that shroud disappears and we can see the essence of who that person is. We get them. We love Them, we long for them in a way that is unique and it is profound and it is almost easier. Now, I want to be really clear when we're talking about the absence of a person and we talk about absence in general, we have to distinguish absence from vacancy, right? Absence can only exist where there once was presence. Vacancy is the void, vacancy is the space of something that never was, that's neutral, that's just empty absence is its own kind of emptiness, but it's an emptiness that's, that exists because something once was present and is no longer there. And when that kind of emptiness, when that kind of absence is, pre- is, 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 is among us, then all of a sudden we see with clarity. For all their time with, the, with Jesus, right? for all the teachings that they heard, for all the... Miracles that they saw him do, for the fifteen times they heard him say, "I am going away." Like Jesus, the, the disciples still didn't understand who Jesus was. They they didn't get them, get him. It's almost as if Jesus' presence among the disciples hindered their ability to understand what it was that he was saying to them, what it was that he was doing, how these things would come about, and what the future would hold. On top of that, not only could the disciples not see Jesus very clearly, but but if Jesus were to stay with the disciples, their dependence on him would remain. They would be forever dependent on Jesus. They wouldn't wash each other's feet because they didn't need to wash each other's feet. Jesus was there. Jesus will wash the other's feet. Jesus prays that they would be unified. They don't really need to fight for unity because now, now Jesus is there and Jesus is the cohesive glue that holds them all together, right? I think we all belong to a group of friends who everybody doesn't really have relationships with each other except for that one person, right? And as soon as that one person moves or, or uh, passes on or whatever, all of a sudden that friend group starts to disintegrate because the friend group is really centered around that one individual. In some ways, when you look at how mismatched the disciples were, fishermen and zealots and and tax collectors and just, it's just this mishmash of people thrown together. There's, there's no affinity that would hold them together except for Jesus. And, and unless Jesus leaves, a new kind of unity could not be born, right? So notice, it's only in the absence of one thing, that the presence of another can come. In order for the disciples to take their next step in ministry, in terms of washing each other's feet, in terms of of the disciples growing in their unity and their love for one another, the only way that that could happen is if Jesus leaves. It is only in the absence of one thing that the presence of another thing can come. I know what some of you have in your mind. Some of you have in your mind with the the rational theological reality. Jesus is never really absent, right? The absence of Jesus is really not an absence, and that's true. The absence of Jesus is not really an absence, but rather it's an altogether different kind of presence and a presence that sustains us in a way that the old presence couldn't. It is good for it is for your good that I go away. Why? Because the new presence of Jesus that comes in the absence is going to be a presence that sustains in a way that the old presence could not. In his bodily form, Jesus could only be present in a finite way. Right? If you wanted to be in the presence of Jesus, then you had to be physically close to Jesus. But now, in his absence, the Holy Spirit could come, and Jesus could be present to all believers everywhere at all times. Not only that, but all those who are present to Jesus through the Holy Spirit would be present in a way that was more intimate than they could be if, they were, if Jesus were physically here. So think about it. Jesus' physical body, physical presence on earth, he's got 150 or so people who follow him on a regular basis. But he's got 12 who are his chosen disciples. He's got three who are a part of his inner circle, and he's got one who is his beloved. In his presence, not everyone got equal access to Jesus. But in his absence, in his absence where there's an ability to be for some new presence to be born, now we all have equal access to Jesus. We don't have to be one of the twelve or one of the three or one of the one. Jesus is uniquely and wonderfully present. Despite the fact that he's absent from the world, he's present to each one of us in a way that he could not be be before. And we can all come and know and be known. It is for your good that I am leaving it's for your good that I'm leaving because now you can be, now your ministry can grow. Now you can be intimate and in relationship with me in a way that you could not before. And not only that, but you as disciples can grow. You can grow as individuals because in a, in a powerful way, you are going to have to become more mature in your faith. You're going to have to do things that you once relied on me to do. You're going to have to try the things that you've seen me do, but now you have to do because I'm no longer here. And it's your responsibility to carry on the ministry. And so I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who's going to empower you, who's going to encourage you, who's going to equip you, who's going to comfort you in the difficulties of that ministry. But ultimately, you have agency here. You're going to have to minister, you're going to have to wash each other's feet, you're going to have to fight for unity. In the absence of Jesus, the presence of something new is coming forth. And the presence of that new thing is ultimately a gift. It is the gift of ministry. And it's a gift that we would not otherwise be able to receive if the presence of Jesus is there. Without Jesus, when Jesus is absent from us, the ministry of Jesus continues on through us. And so because of that, because of this, this is, this is the, the, the weird thought. I don't know that it's weird. It's different. Here's the thought. For Jesus, there is a very real and very powerful ministry of absence. Right? There's a ministry of absence because in his absence, Jesus actually is equipping us and empowering us and saying, now it's your turn. And, it's, and it happens in a way that only the absence couldn't make it happen. And so because of that, there is a ministry of absence. Henry Nouwen, he says this about that, this idea. He says, we are living in a culture and social climate which places a great and positive emphasis on presence. And so when he's talking about presence here, he's not saying like, I want to be present to the moment or I want to be present to the renewal of all things. What he's talking about is like, I'm in your presence. I'm with you. I'm there among you, right? That kind of presence. We are living in a culture and a social climate which places a great and positive emphasis on presence. We feel that being present is a value as such, and almost always better than being absent. Although ministry of presence is undoubtedly very meaningful, it always needs to be balanced by a ministry of absence. This is so because it belongs to the essence of a creative ministry constantly to convert the pain of the Lord's absence into a deeper understanding of his presence. In other words, we have to allow ourselves to acknowledge the fact that Jesus is absent from us, and grieve that, and feel the pain of that, and the difficulty of that, in order to understand that Jesus is present to us in a very unique way. And, and this also filters to how we think about church work. With the work we do as a church or the work of vocational pastors or whatever. He says in this culture and social climate, we have uh, a positive emphasis on presence. And so what he's saying here is that we have this expectation that ministry is about being there. And that true ministry only happens when we are there. So ministry happens when we are at the hospital. Ministry happens when we are at meetings. Ministry happens when we show up for births. Ministry happens when we are at deaths. Ministry happens when we show up to somebody's house with a meal. Ministry happens when we send a card and are present in that way. Ministry happens when we teach a class. Ministry happens when we have a programmed event. Ministry happens fill-in-the-blank. And it's this understanding that If we're ministering to others, if our pastor is doing their job, if the elders are fulfilling their roles, if the church is being the church, then it is there. And there's times, very much so, in which that's the case. That ministry is about being present and showing up at the different places. But if we look at the model and life of Jesus, then we also have to acknowledge that ministry can occur in absence. there are also times when it's better for us to not be there. Because if we only have a ministry of being there, then we can create an unhealthy reliance on people and the church to the neglect of the Holy Spirit who has been sent to aid us. It is only in absence that the presence of God is available to us in a new way. And so sometimes good ministry looks like being absent so the Spirit of God is present. Now, I don't think it's any surprise as to why I've been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks, right? Today is the last Sunday that I'm with you for the next 15 weeks. And so I want to be clear about something Uh, Before I say what I'm going to say, I want to be clear about one thing, okay? Uh, I want to be explicitly clear about this. I am not Jesus. I know you know this. I want you to know that I know this, okay? That said, it is for your good that I go away. It is for your good that I go away. First, a ministry of absence is really a ministry of presence to the Father, right? Jesus is our model. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus defines what it means to be human in this world, what it means to have a ministry, what, it, what that ministry ought to look like, what it means to be in the ministry of reconciliation, to be an ambassador for God, to be, Christ, to be God's witnesses here on earth of the ki- fact that the kingdom of God has come. Like Jesus is our example. And because of this, we ought to imitate what it is Jesus did and how he lived his life. Okay? And one of the curious aspects of Jesus' ministry is the frequency to which he disengaged and was absent from the people. If you've got your Bibles yet, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We'll just look at a short little story here. Luke chapter 5, and we'll start at verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered to him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. As Jesus ministered, what we see is that the crowds continued to gather and as the crowds continued to gather, the demands on Jesus increased and as the demands on jesus increased what we do not see is jesus increasing his work among the people but we actually see him continue go over and over again often withdrawing to the lonely places one of these places we see is in the story of matthew matthew records the fact that john the baptist has been beheaded and jesus is a little bit distraught by the fact that john has been beheaded and so jesus seeks to withdraw to one of these lonely places and pray but as he withdraws, the people follow him and we get the famous story of Jesus teaching and feeding the 5,000 people. But when he gets done with this, he's exhausted and so he sends the people away and he sends the disciples away. He actually says to the disciples, go ahead, get in the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus then goes up on a mountainside to be alone and to pray. This is the pattern throughout Jesus' ministry. Minister, withdraw, Minister, Withdrawal. Minister. Withdrawal. And when Jesus withdrew, it wasn't simply get to get away. This is something that I, over the last couple of weeks, my thinking has been changed about. When, when Jesus got away, it wasn't simply to get away. It wasn't simply to be absent from the crowds, but instead it was to be present to the Father. And Jesus could only be present to the Father when he was absent from the crowds. Henry Nouwen, again, is helpful here. He says this, It is obvious that Jesus does not maintain his relationship with the Father as a means of fulfilling his ministry. On the contrary, his relationship with the Father is the core of his ministry. Therefore, prayer, days alone with God, or moments of silence, should never be seen or understood as healthy devices to keep in shape, to charge our spiritual batteries, or to build up energy for ministry. No, they are all ministry. This idea is what's been ruminating around in my brain for the last few weeks. I'll be completely honest with you that two years ago when we started thinking about a sabbatical, the way that I thought about it was that it would be a period of rest and recharge. I didn't, I mean, I kind of loosely thought it was ministry, but not really like directly ministry. The way that I saw it was that it would help me be a better minister later because I'd either learn some new things or I'd rest and I'd come back more energized and ready to do the work of being a pastor. But what nowin has been challenging me on and what others that I've read have been challenging on is that actually the absence from the day-to-day, the task, the absence from having to write sermons on such a regular basis, the re- absence from meetings and all of that other stuff is actually a ministry as I have the opportunity to be present to the Father. I mean, think about, think about the, the greatest command that Jesus gives. The command that Jesus gives is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're doing our, if we're loving God with all our heart, then it will naturally flow into a love of neighbor. Right? These two things are not separate from one another. It's not like, well, I love God over here, and then I love my neighbor over here. Like, they're connected. They're intimately connected. They, they, in, they inform one another. They flow back and forth to one another. And if that's true, if they're intimately connected one to one another, and if I'm actually loving God well, then I'll be loving my neighbor. And if I want to love my neighbor well, that means that I have to be loving God. If this is all true, then the moment that i pull myself away from my neighbor the moment i create that little bit of absence in order to be more present to the father is actually the time at which i'm also ministering to my neighbor i love my neighbor really well when i minister to the minister to the presence of the father paying attention to that and worshipping and being attentive to these things the ministry of presence and the ministry of absence They go back and forth. I'm present with others and then I'm absent but I'm still ministering. There's a ministry of presence, a ministry of absence. And I want to be really clear about this. I want to be really clear that this is not just true for pastors and ministers. Just think for just a little bit about how often we use this language, all of us use this language of needing to recharge our spiritual batteries or needing to get refilled or needing to be fed, right? And the worship feeds me. The preaching really fills me. And, and, and all of that is good and well, yes. But I think it also reduces the act. Because worship isn't just about feeding me. Ministry, worship is ministry. It's ministry to the presence of the Father, which is ultimately about ministry to each other. Sitting under preaching is a ministry. It's not about being recharged and being challenged. I mean, yes, all of that happens, but ultimately we sit under preaching so that we hear the gospel and our love of God increases and as our love of God increases, so our love of neighbor also increases. And so we have to think about what it means to be absent and where in our lives we might need to be absent. For example, maybe... And this is going to sound, maybe this is going to sound a little bit like parenting blasphemy, but I'm going away for a while and then you can email me in September. Maybe putting on a show for your kids so that you can read scripture and pray is actually ministry to your children. Maybe. Maybe leaving behind the task list and letting the lawn grow a little bit long. And leaving the dishes in the sink overnight. Not feeling like you have to show up to that work function or be there for that Friday night get-together so that you can be quiet and attentive to the presence of God. Maybe, Maybe that's ministry. Maybe finding some space to do the thing that brings you joy. That reminds you that God created a world that was good and beautiful for your enjoyment. Maybe, maybe being absent in one place so you can be present to that is actually ministry. And not just ministry to you, but ministry to your love of God and therefore to your love of neighbor. Maybe we're all called to engage just a little bit in the ministry of absence. And if that's true, what is it that you might need to be absent from? in order to be present to the Father. Yeah. The other thing that we can learn from the ministry of absence is our dependence on the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples 15 times that he was leaving them. And then at the same time that he told them 15 times he was leaving them, he told them 26 times that he was sending the Holy Spirit or the advocate or the spirit of truth or, in some, or a helper. In some, 26 times he tells them, there's a Holy Spirit, the Holy, I'm sending someone to help you. You will not do this alone. You do not have to depend on yourself for this. 26 times he says this. And this is what he tells them. Between, between chapter 13, this is what your ministry is going to look like, and chapter 17, this is my prayer for you. In between those two points, Jesus says 26 times, I'm sending the Holy Spirit so that you can take on this ministry. And after the resurrection when Jesus shows up in the presence of the disciples they're like, "Oh, we're so glad that you're back. That absence was way too long. Now, are you going to establish Now are you going to establish your kingdom? Now are you going to do the work? Cuz we're dependent on you. We need you. You're the only one who can do this." Right? The disciples still don't get it. And again, Jesus needs to leave so that in his absence, the Holy Spirit can come and the disciples rely on the Holy Spirit and embrace their agency in the world. Embrace the ministry that God has given to them. Yeah. And so sometimes we need to have a ministry of absence. We need to have a ministry of absence so that one, we can rely on the fact that the Holy Spirit's gonna do work that we cannot do. And the only way that the Holy Spirit might show up, well, not the only way, but one way the Holy Spirit might show up is when we create space for the Holy Spirit. That if we're always there solving problems, if we're always there stepping in to, to, to reconcile in conflict, that we're always there to make somebody feel better, we're always there. If we're always there, then both we are not showing our dependence on the Holy Spirit to work. We think it's dependent upon us. This will only happen if I'm present. And we are creating a space where the person we're trying to minister is actually dependent on us. When in fact, what they may need more than us is the Holy Spirit and to learn to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. And the only way they learn to be dependent on the Holy Spirit is when we're not present. At one point in his ministry, Eugene Peterson took a a, a one-year sabbatical I think three and a half months is a long time, one year. So he took a one-year sabbatical, and this is what he'd said uh, about it. It's kind of a long quote, but I, I resonate with this on a lot of different levels, and I think also you might as well. He says this, a benefit I had not counted on was a change in the congregation. They were refreshed and confident in a way I had not observed before. One of the dangers of a long-term pastorate is the development of neurotic dependencies between pastor and people. I want, to, I want to just acknowledge right there when he says neurotic dependencies, he is not saying just in the congregation that we pastors can become neurotically dependent upon our congregation as well. And it works out in a lot of different ways. Just want to clarify that. One of the dangers of a long-term pastorate is the development of neurotic dependencies between pastor and people. I had worried from time to time Was it healthy of me to stay in this congregation for so long? Had I taken the place of God for them? Those fears became more acute when I proposed the sabbatical year, for many people expressed anxiety, anxiety that I would not return, anxiety that the church could not get along without me, anxiety that the life of faith and worship and trust that we had worked so hard to develop would disintegrate in my absence. None of those fears was realized. Not one. Not even a little bit. The congregation thrived. They found they did not need me at all. Okay. They discovered that they could be a church of Jesus Christ with one another, or with another pastor quite as well as they could with me. I returned to a congregation confident in its maturity as a people of God. it is better for me, or better for you, (laughs) it is better for you that I'm going away. And in the ministry of absence, may the spirit of God be present. And as the spirit of God is present, may that which could only be born in the space of absence be born. This is my prayer for you. My prayer for you as I and we go away is that this absence, as short as it is, would actually create the kind of space that you and I need to disentangle ourselves from our neurotic dependency upon each other. I've been here for 11 years, we've become family. All my children have been born in your presence you've seen us through hard times you've let me grow up as a pastor you've let me make a ton of mistakes as a pastor you've given me grace you've let me explore aspects of my vocation and my calling You've done things that a church our size, it's a little bit odd that you let your pastor do. And things that are, exist outside this wall, these walls. Things that I am unbelievably grateful for. You have grown me up as a pastor. I am who I am because of you. And I hope it's been mutual. And it feels like I'm saying goodbye, but I'm not. I sit to Sarah all week long. Like, this just feels like a weird sermon to give. Like, it's goodbye, but it's not really. I'm coming back in a little bit. But, but it also feels like things I need to say, things I want you to know. I hope, I hope you've grown up as well. And I hope that this is part of that story, that story of growing up that as we grow into all things Christ together, that it happens because we've we've been absent from each other a little bit and in that we found uniquely a way for you as a congregation to be dependent on the Holy Spirit and me as a pastor to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, but in a way that empowers us and equips us and, and causes our ministry, that foot-washing ministry to flourish and the unity that we fight for to grow. This is my prayer for this time in our absence from one another the presence of God is experienced in unique and profound and deep and meaningful ways that could not otherwise occur and so in all of this led by the spirit who was sent by Jesus in his absence the spirit that was sent by Jesus in his absence may we all attain the maturity of Christ let me pray. I give you thanks, Father, for the gift of Christian brothers and sisters. I give you thanks for the ministry that we have been given together in the ways in which we have fulfilled and worked and done and learned together. I give you thanks for even the ways in which we've fallen short and messed up and had to extend grace. I give you thanks for all of that. I give you thanks that we are in a place where we can do this new thing. And I pray. I pray that in absence, the Spirit of Christ would be present in new and profound ways. I pray that our love for Jesus Christ would increase and our understanding of Christ's love for us would deepen, I pray, I pray for the church and pray that, just as Peterson did, that CCC would grow in its confidence as a people of God, because the Spirit of Jesus is among them, is among us. Pray for us and our family as we go and pray for pray for the same thing. Pray for the recognition and in awareness of our dependence on the ministering work of the Holy Spirit. And in all things as we grow in Christ with presence with one another and in absence may we return to one another and celebrate the good things that God has done celebrate the work that you God continue to do in and through us as we seek to fulfill the mission of Christ in this world in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen.